Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and I am joined tonight by my long-standing sidekick, Ben Daniels. Ben, uh, Brian couldn't be with us tonight. Why do you think that is? Uh, probably because this podcast isn't dangerous enough. <laughs> I don't know. You sound very undangerous tonight, Greg. What's going on? I, I, it, it's my son's first birthday tomorrow. I'm trying to rein it in to keep him safe, even though he is Danger is, in fact, his middle name because he has no sense of personal uh, safety. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe Tottenham Hotspur have finally beaten the danger out of me. I don't know. So this is a dangerous podcast with, like, foam padding on the edges of tables. <laughs> that's <laughs> Actually, I'm recording this on a table with foam padding on the edges. So, yes, it, this week at least it is. Well, I'm sorry. I'm glad Brian isn't here because, you know, I think he is a, a safety risk. And all the foam padding in the world wouldn't keep him from hurting himself. Oh, I think I think you're definitely right about that. It's certainly on the mean streets of Miami. Uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about a decidedly not-so-dangerous 3-1 loss for Tottenham Hotspur against Leeds United. Uh, Leeds is... I'm going to show my Americanness now. Leeds is still a weird team to see in the first division for me, like... It's just strange to see them. Only get the first division. Like, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm still. I'm trying to maintain some poser hipster cred uh, somewhere in the Premier League. Then maybe you prefer that. It's it's very weird to see Leeds. I don't know. I I only expect to see Leeds in like odd FA Cup matches and like FIFA saves. So it's just I, I it's just they're just not a team I'm accustomed to seeing very much. Yeah, I mean it's been 20 years, and uh, now they're back. And they're very good. Uh, <laughs> they're back in Bielsa for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think the story of the match, to jump right into it, is just the difference between a team that has a real coach and a team that doesn't. Well, I, I think, and, I, I want to stop you right there, Ben, because I think that's probably true, but I think it's also true. Comprehensively true. Well, well, it is, but... <laughs> It's also true that the difference between a team that is extremely well-drilled in a coaching philosophy, which Leeds are, and a team that has had a manager for, like, four weeks who is also 29 and is in his fourth, like, professional match or whatever it is as a manager. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, Ryan Mason probably wouldn't have this team firing against the Bielsa team after, like, a full year in charge, but... Certainly he's not going to, like, you know, we, we basically have been trying attacking football for four weeks this season, and they've all been in a row. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's exactly it. It's, you know, Ryan Mason showed against Sheffield United last week what happens when you replace a toxic, negative manager who stifles everybody's good impulses and ruins everybody's good time, and... Someone just gets out of the way and says, you know what, play on the front foot. We're going to have some basic principles of pressing and basic principles of possession-oriented football. And 
we're going to go play a really shitty team who also doesn't have a real coach, and we're going to wax the floor with them. Um, against Leeds, getting out of the way and imposing the basic fundamentals of you should attack some um, was not really equipped for the challenge. You know, Leeds are, like you said, a very well-drilled unit, a very cohesive side, a team that definitely is greater than the sum of their parts. Um, and, you know, I think one of the one of the stories we've heard from Ryan Mason is is that we had been playing too much in response to what other teams' game plans were. And it was time for Tottenham Hotspur to play their own way of football and impose that on the opposition. And I fundamentally agree with that philosophy. But, you know, as you said, when you have four weeks in charge, uh, your team doesn't really have a way of playing to impose on somebody else. And we just looked very naive. Um, leads were pressing very aggressively. You know, our our system was rudimentary by comparison, and you know, a little more cynical, reactive play uh, might have helped. Um, I'm not bothered by it, and like any kind of like big picture thing. It's like if all Ryan Mason's here to do is get the team like having fun again whatever we so what we lose to leads but like that's definitely what happened is well, we just got wildly outcoached this is kind of a trade-off for losing Mourinho because i don't know if he outcoached bielsa in the first game they played this year but it certainly in some ways it feels like if i was to cast my mind back to like the last sort of comfortable league win for spurs under Mourinho, i like i don't know if leads the three nil against leads is it but it feels like it is and i I mean, I feel like this is what you trade. You, you're going to get those games against Sheffield or whoever where we're on the front foot, and things just sort of generally don't feel as shitty, um, which I think is worth the trade-off. But at the same time, you know, as much as I do agree, like you said, like, let's play on the front foot, let's take our game to other teams, there are games where you soak up pressure and hit them on the break, and you let them sort of beat themselves. Oh, beat themselves is a little too harsh, but, you know, that's kind of... Leeds is like one of those teams where what Mourinho was trying to do was actually kind of okay. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of caveats and nitpicks within there, but this was a trade-off, I think. You were going to have a game like this. I think it's worth pointing out, Mason said this in the post-game, and I don't think he's entirely wrong. I think we were incredibly hard done by uh, Kane's goal getting chalked off, and you don't know what that does to the pressure, that they're, they're, to, the, to the way the match goes. You know, we're up 2-1 at that point. We have good enough play. Like, Leeds are extremely well coached. They're a very good team. They also, like, have a championship squad. I, mean, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know. There's no yeah, bones. There's a few really good players. But there's, no, there's no meat on that bone I'd be really over-eager to pick. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, maybe things just work out for us, but it would have just been working out for us. Like, we were getting torn apart by Leeds. I mean, I don't think it was... Again, it was not the worst. It was better than a lot of the Mourinho performances we've seen this year. I Maybe just because we're in the good vibes era of Tottenham Hotspur, but I did not. Maybe because I was at a bar with you watching this for the first time in like a year and a half. Uh, but it did not bother me in the way some of our other matches bothered me this year. But we didn't play well. And the naivete of Ryan Mason really shone through. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And... You know, Leeds are a relentless team, and even at 2-1, I don't think 
as naive as we were playing, you know, that it was a foregone conclusion that we would have seen it out like they did manage to hang no, three no, goals on us. No. But, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not bothered by the result. Like, I want to make that very clear. I'm not at all upset that this happened. Um, in fact, in some level, I'm pretty glad because it, it exposes why Ryan Mason should not get the job for permanent Tottenham Hotspur manager. And if we needed a game like this to make that abundantly clear to Daniel Levy, which I think it already is, but you know, I'm glad he got that object lesson. Well, I'm glad if we were going to have this game, it happened this week and not the last week against Leicester, because I think that would have burned a lot more if, like, ooh, we could finish in top four today, and then we get, like, waxed, like, 4-0 or something by them. And, you know. That's... Yeah, and, and, and that is tough as, like, we did basically lose our ability to finish top four with this this weekend. We lost to Leeds, and man, you put out a completely rotated side to play Leicester, um, with the expectation that they play a fully rested side against Liverpool and beat them, which they also didn't do. So, thanks a lot, Man U. <laughs> um, so yeah, so now you know everybody else is in a much better position to finish top four instead of us. As long as we just don't get, I the, think the Conference League. <laughs> It was always a pipe dream. Um, but yeah, back to the match. It was just... You see a team press with the intensity of Leeds, and it's hard not to look nostalgically back at the when we used to do stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and the way the way we used to play football. I mean, you know, Pochettino is a Bielsa disciple, and... You know, he, he married some of Bielsa's more insane tendencies with a little more pragmatism and a little more flexibility than we've ever seen from Bielsa. But, you know, the the tradition of football that, that Bielsa coaches come from is just undeniably a fun way of playing. Well, for- and I have enjoyed the shit out of Leeds this season. And, you know, I kind of have to tip my hat to them as as they ran us off the park i mean again i think it's incredibly i think you got to give them a lot of credit because like i said there isn't i don't know if there's a single player on leads maybe rafinha that i would take that i would take like if i had the option and they they just looked way better than us and we talked about there's a lot of reasons for that uh, I do think it's worth noting that i think it's kind of cool is that ryan mason is in the uh bielsa coaching tree which is <laughs> Kind of strange yeah, he's and his grandson. <laughs> kind of strange and funny if you think about it. Maybe one day that'll be really cool. But you know, it, it's it's impressive, and they played fewer games than us this year, and you got to take that into account. But just yeah, it, it's it's so impressive what he's been able to do there. And you know, I think you know if Bielsa got into an argument with the groundskeeper and got fired tomorrow, which you know is entirely possible. I think that team would that they would find a way to get relegated this year. I think without Bielsa there, I think that's what would happen to them. Uh, but I think it's incredible what they did to us, and you know, I think they were maybe a little fortunate, mostly with that Kane goal. But you know, we they they, just, they tore through our midfield. It was it was you know, and predict it was predictable. Uh, you know, it seems like Indombele is not entirely fit. And that might be a reason that he hasn't been getting used the last few weeks. But even when he came on, he's playing deep, like in deepest lying. He came on as late as he did is one thing. But, like, you know, they playing as a deep-lying midfielder. I mean, it's like, what are we doing? Like, that's not where you're going to break Leeds press. Right. Like, the only advantage of that is for, like, the whole balance of the game, having a guy like him who, as 
press resistant as he is carrying the ball out of the back and transitioning it forward um, would have been really useful. But I mean, yeah, our whole midfield, it was just wide open. And a lot of it was, you know, I think down to Mason imposing this sort of idea of a press that felt very Jose-esque where a press mostly meant like chase guys down. Um, you know, and we saw that on the third goal where Aurier got caught high up the pitch pressing, but there was no concerted team press behind him. And the ball very quickly transitioned into that channel he left behind. And they were able to very, very easily turn, you know, our half-hearted attempt at winning the ball back into a third goal. Um, and again, it's like, I'm glad the idea is there. I'm glad we're trying to do these things again. It's just, it hasn't come together. Well, and part um, of it is, yeah, part of it is, I don't think we should excuse the performance off of this, but like, I mean, individual errors also killed us. In addition to sort of just being out coached and outplayed in a lot of ways, like, you know, Eric Dyer just missing simple clearances. I, you know, it's, it's not like. And Regulon passing the ball, but. Almost into Hugo's net. And know, even some of that is regular getting hung out to dry by, by Dyer. It's, you know, I mean, these things are not, like, there's a lot you could look at this game and our games in particular, you know, all the games under Mason and say, like, you know what, these, this guy's had four weeks, what do you expect him to do? Especially if he's trying to shift the way we're playing. But, you know, like, putting regular on putting the ball in his own net. Eric Dyer just ball watching and or, or making bad decisions. Not just not clearing the fucking ball. These are simple rudimentary things that you know again i don't know how much exhaustion or just like everyone's brain is fried at the end of the year plays into a lot of this but these are not things that you know are the product of having a new coach an inexperienced coach without a lot of time with the team these are i mean you know especially in dyer's case like i am just over dyer i mean that guy needs to be out of this team they need to you know, if they're not going to sell him in the offseason, that guy just needs to be sitting on the bench or playing against, like, sort of the the lower tiers of the Europa League. Yeah, and this is, you know, there's nothing new. Like, we know there are a lot of frailties in our defensive personnel, and when that defense comes under a lot of pressure, it creaks and often breaks. Um, and largely, Mason has played against teams that we are better than, and playing on the front foot has meant keeping pressure off of those guys. And it hasn't led to these kinds of mistakes, but again, the way, the way leads plays, the way they press, the way they counter in a space, you know, was creating a lot of dangerous opportunities for them and created those, the exact same climate for frequent defensive mistakes as Jose Mourinho's sit back and let chances flow at you for 90 minutes um, style of play. And it is intensely frustrating to see, these guys week in week out kind of make the same same kinds of mistakes you know and especially again we know we know Joe Roden is on this team and has looked good in limited appearances and there is nothing he has done to for me to say he doesn't warrant inclusion in this team and there's nothing that Eric Dyer has done that says oh he should he should be playing every week except for the fact that Ryan Mason knows him and they play yeah. together under Pochettino. Like, that's that's it. And, then, you know, I can excuse it because you're a new manager, you're trying to get guys on board, playing the guys you know and you have relationships with is an easy way to make that happen. But at some point, like, it's worth spending the last few games seeing what this guy we bought this summer 
can actually offer us going forward. Because we're about to go into a transfer window, and a new coach is going to have to, you know, decide where we need reinforcements. And it would be nice to just see just how good old Joe might actually be um, before we go into that window. And maybe maybe we will now that, like, the, Europe, the Champions League is sort of out of reach. I mean, I understand we still have the Europa League to play for, but it's just, you know, I would imagine that, like, you know, we, we talk about, you know, Daniel Levy getting his nose out of football business is something that everyone talks about. But I don't think it would be unreasonable for, you know, one of the remits that he gave Ryan Mason would be, we have a few players we would like to see, like, once the League Cup final is behind us, we would like to see what we've got there within reason. And, you know, Roden should be, st- like, unless there's something going on we don't know about. And, you know, it turns out Ndombele was hurt for a while and we just didn't hear about it. But, like, why Roden isn't starting, why Tanganga's not getting more minutes, I just, these are things I don't understand. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I probably understand, but it, it, it doesn't make sense for the club not to be giving these guys at least some minutes. Because you would, if I was Daniel Levy, and I'm talking to whoever the new manager is, and given this COVID environment, it would be, you know, like, we're probably going to be relying on a lot of currently on-the-payroll assets and... You know, I'd want to know what we have in Roden. I'd want to know what we have in Tanganga, because you know, do you need to buy two right backs this off season if we sell Orier? Do we need to buy one? You know, how many center backs do we actually need to go out and purchase? You know, Christensen, we've been linked with him, but you know, it's sorry, the Anderson. Guy, yeah, Anderson. <laughs> I'm mixing up my uh, vaguely my, Danish name. My vaguely Danish center backs. Yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, we've been linked with him. It seems like we're in pole position to get him. You know, but do we need to go get another center back? Because, like, you know, a, a lot of it relies on, like, well, what do you think of um, Sanchez? What do you think of Roden? Um, where is Toby? Like, you know, is he still reliable? Where is Sanchez? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's, I appreciate that, like, a lot of these questions just won't get answered until the new manager gets here. But it's just, you know, especially now, I'd like to see some answers to these questions, especially with the Champions League out of reach. And what's frustrating is I'm not asking them to, like, play, you know, Scarlet in the first team. Like, I think Roden and Sanchez and Tanganga could, in theory, help this team win games right now. Yeah, I don't know about Sanchez, but, you know, I mean... <laughs> Wouldn't you rather see Chance, Sanchez out there than Dyer right now? I mean, shit. I mean, I'd rather see you out there than Dyer right now, but... <laughs> I, well, I'm I, tall. I, I'm, I'm tall. I'm no doubt it's a Sanchez fan. Um, but, you know, Aurier... All three goals this weekend came down Aurier's flank through various levels of Serge Aurier culpability. Um, you know, he's a guy who I think has largely had a very good season. He is what he is. We know what he offers. We know what he takes off the table. Uh, but rumors are increasingly gathering that he is off to PSG or off somewhere. Well, for um, 10 to 12 and, million to PSG is apparently if, the rumor. If, if that's the case, like if he's leaving and we have nothing else to play for, then yeah what's he doing in the lineup right time to see what tanganga is like he's gotten very few minutes this season he's been good in most of them you know if we don't see him as a center back which it seems like we don't because we keep playing him just at right back um you know as a right back he has not developed the kind of attacking facet of his game and if you want him to do that like give him a few matches to to try some low stakes matches where it's like it's okay if you make a mistake work on going forward work on contributing to the attack and if you make some mistakes in defense like that's okay this is this is practice for you i'm like really 
I'm, I'm happy for us to treat these games as a little bit of practice for some of our guys because we have a lot of players who, you know, haven't had that opportunity. Like, let, let Steven Bergvine cook for a minute. Let him play, you know? Like, I, as much as I've loved the Gareth Bale renaissance this season and as much as I'd like to have him back next year, Gareth Snail was not the man to play against Leeds' high-pressing system. He was almost completely invisible this match um you know get a guy like steve who you know can work hard well and make a for this club whose future you want to kind of tease out but that and i get that like i said a minute ago like it a lot's gonna depend on who we hire and how they want to use these guys but i would just you know regardless of that like getting to see bergvine out there and just not playing as a glorified fullback like like, I think there's some merit in just seeing what that looks like. And I don't think that's, you know, that's not me asking, like, why don't we play Bentaleb at left back? This isn't some, like... Hey, that was not a crackpot there. <laughs> I think he hasn't had a career as a midfielder. If only somebody had made him a left back when the time was right, we could be talking about that, the greatest left back. We could talk about Schalke in the first division. Uh, but it, it's it's... My point is, this isn't some harebrained theory. This is... These are things that will probably be applicable for the next manager. They probably won't get solved one way or another until we bring someone in. But I don't know. I would like to see these things as opposed to just running out the good vibes team, which is also, again, I think for whatever reason, maybe it's just my own biases and where we were at that point. I still found this to be more enjoyable than the uh, than you know any Mourinho match event in a very long time. So yeah, I mean, you know, on the bright side, like we scored two really good goals. One of them didn't count for stupid reasons. Deli Alley had another good game. Um, that's really that's actually really worth focusing on. I mean, for a guy who wasn't playing all year, I mean, you look at this, and I mean, God knows, maybe Deli's got some issues behind the scenes, but you, you just wonder why was this guy not getting minutes this year when we were crying we know, out for we creators. Know, we know why. Well, but it's it's still insane <laughs> that, it, that it happened. Is all I'm is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Uh, if nothing else, there's something to look forward to. We're probably going to have Deli Alley as an important part of Spurs next year. That's exciting. Yeah, and knock on wood, uh, and Dombele and Los Celso will not trade off months on the injury table. Hopefully, uh, you know, fingers crossed. Will be back. Um, you know, the squad is sound in a lot of ways. It just needs a few, a few tweaks. And a good manager, and you know, you can see what this team could be. Because, like, with a real coach and a real plan, we yeah. don't need to play reactive football against Leeds. We could play our football against Leeds and beat them because we're a much better team. You know, it's just that kind of middle ground where we don't have a way of playing, and they do. It really exposes the limitations of good vibes and everyone going out there having fun. It's just not always enough. So we've talked about this in bits and bobs but over the last few weeks, but I think this is a good opportunity to really dig into it a little bit. Uh, you talked about a manager can install style. I think if you're reading the tea leaves, it certainly sounds like the, the club is setting Potter up for the job. Um, the Grand Potter at Brighton, you know, they're leaking stuff out to the media that Tottenham players were impressed when they played for Brighton this year. All the stuff that Alistair Gold is putting out certainly points to him and Brendan Rodgers being the two sort of front runners. I mean, I, I'm deeply skeptical of Rodgers 
coming here for a whole variety of reasons that I think we've covered before, but how do you feel about Potter arriving at Spurs? Because we're talking about a guy who's managing, you know, a team in the very lower tiers of the Premier League. And, you know, a lot of people talk about how similar this is to Pochettino, but, I mean, Southampton wasn't a bottom dweller when we hired him. Yeah, and I think a lot of your appetite for Graham Potter is going to depend on how much you believe in the concept of expected goals and performances that underlie actual results. Um, Because by the results, they're a team who has been fighting relegation and was only made safe by virtue of Fulham's complete ineptitude um, this weekend. And they have not performed... um, to the level that you would want from a guy who is going to take over Spurs um, by the, you know, by the results table, which is a table that is reasonable to look at. Um, But looking deeper, if you look at expected goals, you know, they are a team that should be, should be fighting for a Champions League place. Um, You know, they have an expected goals of roughly 60 expected goals. Spurs have an expected goals of 53 expected goals. Um, for those of you who aren't great at math, that's higher than Spurs. But Spurs have scored 61 goals from those 53 expected goals, and Brighton have scored 36. So some of that is down to the fact that their team is not as good as Harry Kane and Hungman's son, who routinely overperform um, expected goals by virtue of being very good finishers. And some of it is down to just sheer bad luck. Um you know, I think a, a more cynical look would say some of it is down to the underlying numbers not capturing um, some fundamental tactical failing of Brighton and the way that they play and that their chances are maybe not as good as the numbers would suggest. Um, I think even allowing for that to be true, them having a, you know, by a widely accepted statistical model, twice as many goals as they've actually scored to write all of that down to the failure of numbers and not other factors like poor finishing and bad luck, um, I think is is equally uncharitable from, from the naysayer side. Well, um, I know you I watch think- a lot more Brighton than I do, Ben, uh, but I would say when I do watch Brighton, the eye test certainly bears out, maybe not the extent to which that sort of, you know, double the expected goals and how many they've actually scored. But certainly I, I often find myself when I watch Brighton saying, how have they, how do they not score that? How have they only scored this? You know, how are they losing this game? Like there's a lot of that. And I think, you know, like you said, is that, you know, that's, that's a subpar roster. Are they just unlucky? I think there's a lot of like things you could reasonably chalk that up to, but I do think the air, the eye test bears that out to some extent. Yeah, and you know, even looking at like the real table, um, they have conceded fewer goals than Man U, as many as Liverpool, fewer than West Ham, fewer than Everton, fewer than Leicester. You know, like they are a very stout defense, and that part of the expected goals to real goals is 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 working. Um, it's only on the attacking side where they seem to be, you know, woefully profligate slash unlucky slash badly coached. Um, but I think the way that they play. The way that they set up is uh, it is very effective. It's fairly easy on the eye. Um, you know, they play a lot of a lot of possession football. They 
you know, they, they, they support each other well in attack. They always seem to have numbers in various areas of the pitch. Um, they, you know, they try to create a lot of cutback chances in the middle of the box, which is a much better use of the ball than, than high crosses into the box. Um, you know, I would like maybe more through balls and, and more penetration vertically. Um, but again, how know, much is that a limitation of, of the personnel? You know, it's exactly right. Like we don't have a guy who's capable of playing the balls that Deli Alley or you know, Christian Erickson um, could play. You know, you are you're kind of limited in, in in the ways you can attack, and you know the kinds of chances Brighton are creating falling to Harry Kane in the middle of the box after, you know, a run to the end line and a cutback. I'm not, I'm not worried that Harry Kane isn't going to score those chances. Like he's Harry Kane. Of course he will. And we won't um, score them when he's uh, sitting at home striking because he wants his move to Manchester United. Right. But Dane Scarlett, I'm equally not worried fair about. Enough, fair and enough. I, you know, I know he's got the good. So, you know, I think, um, you know, on, on cartilage free captain, uh, Andres wrote a, a pretty comprehensive study on, on Graham Potter. And if you listen to this podcast, you're probably inclined to read that website. Uh, if you're not, you should check out this article. Um, if you're a skeptic of Graham Potter, I think it lays out a pretty good case for him. But, you know, I, I think he plays good football. That will translate well. Um, you know, he plays in a in a back three with a wing back system um, at Brighton, and it's not necessarily the most obvious fit for Spurs, given that I don't think we have three good center backs. Um, and playing three center backs takes another midfielder or attacker off the table, and that is where our squad is strongest. Um, but, you know, this is not – I don't think this is a dogmatic approach from Graham Potter – uh, he has played back fours. He played a back four a lot more often last season. I think it's the kind of thing that – I think he's the kind of coach that will look at what he's got and say, all right, how do I structure this team to kind of get the most out of the talent I have available to me? Um, and if he doesn't, well, I think we can still make it work because Brighton's making it work, and they're playing a lot of weird guys in a lot of weird positions uh, sometimes to accommodate that. I think it's so – I like him. I think it's really interesting. The argument with Potter is certainly, like, if you apply these techniques and the way he approaches the game to a team with better players and more resources like Spurs, you're going to see, you know, interesting results. And I think that's a very fair opinion to take. I think the two areas where you worry about him, for me, are how he's never handled sort of big-name players before. How's that going to go? Whatever you want to say about Pochettino when he came to Spurs, I mean that was a guy who played in he was international football. He you know, he wasn't a superstar, but you know, he was a regular starter for the Argentine national team. He played in, you know, first division football in Spain, first division football in um in, in France. Not the biggest teams, but big enough teams. There was a guy who I think he carried a little bit of weight in a way that I think you worry about with Potter, even though, you know, Potter obviously had a professional career. But the other thing that I think is worries me about him is, you know, like that's a big step up. It's bigger, I think, than the step up Pochino took from Southampton to Spurs. I think that was a team with a little more resources that was playing a little bit better as a result of them. And, you know, I think we'd all feel better if he'd been doing this. You know, obviously, if he's a team like Everton, we probably aren't poaching him. But, you know, if he's at a team with slightly like a Southampton or a, you know, I don't know, 
um, you know, an arsenal, you know, some mid-table team that we could pull a team, pull a coach <laughs> off of. Um, but, no, you but know, I think, and that, that's the thing that worries me. It's like, it's a big step. It's a really big step. And we're, I think when you look at the failings of Brighton and we talk about, you know, that it's their low budget, they have a lot, they're, they're cobbling that roster together, the players aren't that great. You know, those things are all true. But also, are we maybe making a, a couple too many excuses for him? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's definitely something to be said for the fact that he is not an ex-player. He is not a big name. He is an ex-player. He is an ex-player. He just didn't well, play at a very not, high not level. At the, not at the level. Yeah. You know, that, that, you, that, that immediately inspires confidence. You know, the way that people are naively inspired by a Frank Lampard or Mikel Arteta or Scott Parker. Um, you know, despite being worse coaches. Um, but... You know, when Pochettino came from Southampton, like Southampton were like the darling of the English media and English football. Like it was, they were universally recognized to be doing something fairly special down there. Um, and I don't think Graham Potter benefits from that same kind of media climate cachet. You know, I think there's a, a, a strong segment of stats dorks who who find him very very fascinating um, and a very hard done by manager. And I think a lot of people who watch the game who watch Brighton play are intrigued by him, but it, it hasn't translated into the kind of like uniform praise that would make hiring him go down easier. It's not like the obvious candidates like, Oh yeah, Brighton are amazing. Of course we want to hire the Brighton manager. And like, that's you're right. It's a tough sell. I think Brighton is pretty well thought of. Uh, I think there's definitely, I think he is well thought of amongst the media and amongst you know, just people who watch, neutrals who watch who watch the games. I do think what you're saying is because Brighton is Brighton, because they are where they are in the table, I, I do think there is a sentiment that he probably deserves to be on a bigger club. But yeah, but when you say Tottenham, like I think there's sort of that really Tottenham? That like that much better of a club or that much bigger of a club? Like it feels like a reach in a way it's a little hard to articulate. I mean, and, you know, you combine that with, like, you look at someone like Southampton, who has not been in a relegation fight for to the way that Brighton have. And, you know, Hassan Huddle is a guy we were talking about as a replacement back in, you know, when firing Mourinho was just a glimmer in our eyes. I mean, that guy's completely fallen off the table. His name doesn't get mentioned at all anymore. I think Gold, who's about as plugged in and leaking to the team as anyone and leaking everything they want out there. I mean, he's put the kibosh on him. So it's just interesting where, like, various managers' fortunes stand. Now, I think with Hassan Huddle, it's because they've just been on a downward trajectory for long enough that that gives you pause in a way that just someone constantly scrapping against relegation might not. Yeah. And, you know, and I think all of these concerns that you might have about how the squad will respond to a Graham Potter uh, is the kind of thing that will be answered. You know, very quickly. He'll have a, if he gets hired, he'll have a full summer with the team after the Euros. Um, and, you know, they, they responded well to Ryan Mason's methods in training, you know? And, like, yes, he has that easy buy in of being an, an academy friend, an ex teammate of a lot of these players, but, you know, they do seem to genuinely feel like he's doing a good job behind the scenes running running the team and you get a summer of that with Potter and then we start winning a few games that's really all it takes to get buy-in like winning really solves everything like 
you look at Chelsea and firing Frank Lampard is that hard decision I think to take at a club like Chelsea but he's a club legend you know you've got a lot of academy players in that team who obviously revere a guy like that he gave them their chances in a lot of ways and you know it, it would have been very easy for that climate to turn very toxic in the wake of that and instead they've gone on to make a Champions League final and look very good value for it like they've been one of the best teams in England and you know I think it takes very little um to turn a team around in terms of a buy-in you know winning winning really solves a lot of a lot of problems I do agree with that it's I guess where it worries me if I'm playing devil's advocate it's you know, you look at Spurs. This is a club that was in a Champions League final at the end of 2019, and they have been in a tailspin to one degree or another ever since. They have, you know, and I don't agree with this, but I'm sure some players in the team look at it this way, and probably Harry Kane. They had one of the best managers in the world. They fucked it up. Like, or it got fucked up one way or another. And you're going to bring in a guy who's been fighting relegation to fix this, like, after him. Now, again... Having Mourinho there might make this all go down a lot easier because he's just not a massive gaping asshole. But, you know, it's, it's, I just, at a time when we're all a little worried about Harry Kane, Harry Kane's commitment to the team, at a time where, you know, we have some big name players who came in, or at least highly, really hyped up players who came in off the back of some high expectations that haven't been met, you know, it's, it's it's a risk, and I think you're right. If if Potter comes in, hits the ground running, things go well. That's you know it's going to solve itself. But you know he needs that buy-in, and we'll see how it goes. You know I think the fact that some of the core players, namely Harry, who I think we'd have to worry about, are English. It probably helps that Potter's English. Um, man, I don't know. It's just like I, mean, I, I like a lot about Potter, but they just really think- need to get this hire right, and there's no obvious choice. Right. I mean, like, look, if things go wrong and we don't, we aren't winning and things go badly, then, yeah, ex post facto, it turns out that was that was not the right hire. But, you know, the thing is, is I, I think our squad is largely not dicks. Like, Harry Kane is not going to, like, not play. Like, he might ask to be sold uh, af- after this season, and that might happen regardless of who we hire. Um, but once Daniel Levy says, no, we're not going to sell you, He's not going to not play. Like, he is just a guy who loves going out there and scoring goals. Son is not going to not play. The guys in our team who are dicks, like Deli Alley, you know, is just going to be happy to, like, get the opportunity to get back in the team. You know, I, I just don't see, like, the likelihood of a, a, a concerted, like, opposition to whoever we hire based on, you know, their pedigree or whatever. Like, I, I just don't think that's as big of a risk. Um coming off of the season we've had and the toxicity that we've experienced. Um, yeah, and that's and that's one reason I don't want Rodgers here beyond all the, like, how much it would cost and what kind of power we'd have to give him. Like, there is a man I do not trust to fix this locker room. Like, you know, I mean, that is, toxicity is not something he squashes. It's something he injects. But, yeah, it's it's such a tricky hire. And, I mean, I, I, we were, I was having a conversation with Michael today about this. I think... Whatever you think about, is Potter a good hire or not? I think, you know, Potter would probably murder members of his own family to get the Spurs job this offseason. I, I, I would be shocked. And Brighton is, 
you know, they're a club we have relationships with. I'll bet we could do business with them. I don't think it's in their interest to play hardball and letting managers go because, you know, much like a lower tier team, you don't you want good players to think they can use you as a stepping stone to some degree. I mean, it's COVID, which fucks all this up, and I don't know exactly how that's going to change things. I think if we want Potter, he's ours one way or another. Like, we have to pay a little bit of money. I don't think we're going to pay 20 million pounds for him, but, you know, we'd have to buy him out to some extent. But Michael was a little more skeptical, I think, because probably just because of the COVID environment. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, I don't, I don't think there's a real risk of us not being able to meet Brighton's asking price. I don't think Potter is on a particularly expensive contract. I can't imagine he doesn't have a release clause um, in it because, again, like you said, that's kind of part of the deal. You expect to use these clubs as stepping stones. They expect to have their managers and players move on to some degree. Um, you know, we, we just got a big break on, on Jose's contract thanks to Roma. You know, we have money, and we've shown we're willing to spend it for a manager. Um, you know, we were entertaining the idea of Nagelsmann, who ended up costing Bayern $20 million. I don't think we're going to balk at, at, at Potter's asking price. I don't think there's going to be a cheaper manager out there that we're going to be interested in hiring. Yeah, um, I mean, some reporting around Ten Hag has been saying that, you know, the fact that he signed the, extent, that the extension got activated and he'll be more expensive is why we're not getting him. I mean, I, I would... I would posit the fact that his extension got activated means he's not he he is not interested in leaving <laughs> at least for us and that has nothing to do with how much he costs but right um yeah you know the one thing that I'm concerned about is Daniel Levy has basically said or reporting has said that like the manager search isn't moving forward as quickly as he'd like because he's been so preoccupied with the backlash to the Super League and the dealing with the supporters trust and like appeasing fans and it is once again a failure of Daniel Levy to delegate football operations to somebody other than Daniel Levy um, that led to us not signing anybody because he was preoccupied with the stadium and you know flubbing so many other deals over the years because he can only do one thing at a time uh, I worry you know just that opportunities will pass us by because I mean, that, too much on his plate. that same reporting basically said that they expect this deal to be done by the end of the season or shortly thereafter. So, I mean, you, yeah, I, I would imagine this is going to be a priority one way or another. But who knows what fresh hell awaits us. There's a there's a big fan protest planned for this weekend. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not expecting much out of it because I think that the efforts to play in this thing have been... A lot of the protesting against Daniel Levy, as we talked a little bit about last week, I think is fairly incoherent. Um, there's people angry about the Super League. There's people who just want him to spend some money. Um, FFS. Um, I, I think it'll probably be more of the same headache for him. I, I don't know. I, I think this is going to get done. I think this is a priority for him. If it gets finished by the end of the year, I kind of don't care what happens in the meantime. Um, like you said, I don't want to see any opportunities go by, but it seemed like we were trying to do everything we could to get Nogglesman in here before that just got that door got shut on us. So it doesn't seem like we've been complacent about this. So here's hoping we're not being complacent about this. Yeah. So we hire Graham Potter tomorrow. Are you happy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, honestly, I'm just looking for someone I can dream on a little bit who doesn't feel like a total fraud. <laughs> um, I, I think getting a guy like Rogers from a footballing perspective would probably be good, but I just can't shake the feeling that that guy's an asshole and a fraud. 
I don't want him in for a lot of reasons. Uh, I do not want Scott Parker anywhere near this team right now. Um, you know, I, I'm probably happy with Potter. I have a lot of concerns about him, but, you know, I was very... I was kind of like, oh, Pochettino when we hired him. I wasn't super thrilled with that hire because it wasn't a sexy hire, I thought. No, and you I, wanted Frank DePore, didn't I you? I did. It shows what I know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I hate Graham Potter and don't want him anywhere near this club. Uh, no, it's it, it, it feels like... You know, in a way, it's kind of what we should have. It's, you know, I think people say Daniel Levy does this. I think every chairman does this. You always hire the opposite of the last manager you had. And, you know, Mourinho is this sort of sexy hire that was trying to paper over all these cracks and do all these things. And, you know, Potter feels like much more of a, you know, it feels much more like, you know, you're building infrastructure as opposed to like, you know, it feels more like, yeah, more steak than sizzle. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, when Daniel Levy's gotten, like, really ooh and ah over a manager, it's been Juan de Ramos and Jose Mourinho, and when he's had to, like, really think about it, you know, we got Pochettino. And well, and Martin Hull hoping... and Harry Redknapp, well, kind of Harry Redknapp, but... <laughs> yeah, Harry Redknapp was a little desperation. But... Yeah. AVB, oh, no, so, I'm not liking so this at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't really know what bucket to put AVB in, because it was also kind of a, ooh, we could get, you know, Chelsea's table scraps. Like, that's exciting. Well, we, we know, know all, we'll know it's going to go well if we don't hear about how the interview blew him away, because that's what happened with AVB, and that's what happened with Mourinho. So, Graham Potter needs to have just good enough an interview to get hired, but not good enough that we hear he blew Daniel Levy away. Yeah, so you're going to be happy when you see the headline, like, Graham Potter. Ah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> How do you feel? Would you be happy with him if we hired him tomorrow? I'd be thrilled with him. I really like Graham Potter. I really like the way Brighton play. Um, I, uh, I, I'd i be very excited about that. Is I, he, I think... so is, was he your number one choice outside of Nogglewood, maybe? And Bragnick, <sighs> who's... I can't tell how realistic that was. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think my pipe dream on Ragnick was always about more than him as a manager, who, again, he's kind of like the Bielsa to a, a, a German coaching philosophy um, in, in the way that he's kind of a, a godfather of a movement. But, I, you know, his appeal was always for me, like the transformation of like the backroom stuff of the club. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that Potter gives you that. And I think that's still a very, very crucial hire and hiring Graham Potter is by no means the end of the work we need to do no. to turn this club. But it's, it's worth pointing out if Daniel Levy's not willing to let go of the football operations, like, if nothing else, Potter has, you know, shown he can make chicken salad out of chicken shit. So there there might be some advantage to him being a little flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I hope we get somebody. And, like, I'll, the thing about Graham Potter is the fact that we're entertaining a guy who has performed this poorly in league table but so well by advanced analytics – um, says to me that we're kind of looking at this the right way. We're we're not being snowed by results. We're not being snowed by good fortune. We're not being, you know, blinded by some rare good finishing or a, a weird, you know, high league position. Um, we're looking deeper than that, and I, that's really all I'd ask of this club to do. And 
we hire Graham Potter, it means we did it. And well, even like the, the the worst, and I say in air quotes on a podcast. Um, you know, if like Rogers isn't even a total fiasco if we hire him. It might be a fiasco in other ways, but in terms of like guy who can make your team better, he's not you know the worst you could do. He's like there is some level of. He's he's a good coach. We'll probably get a lot out of these players. It's just all the other stuff is what right. worries you. About right, the him. guy doing that with 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 Leicester and making them consistent Champions League competitors, uh, you know, you can't not look at that that guy. I think it's the bigger picture stuff for me that, like like you said, that scares me off of him. But like in terms of the way Leicester play, like yeah, Brandon Rodgers doing a great job. Yeah, I, I would not sure. enjoy having that annual end of season meltdown that Leicester seemed to have every single year. But whatever, it would be prefer- preferable to Jose Mourinho um, years. So anyway, I, you know, I feel reasonably good about where we're going. It's you know, this, this is the whole thing about bringing Mason. In. It's like it's good vibes till the end of the season. We just don't have Mourinho anymore. He can't hurt me. I, I'm feeling relatively good about things. Even the Super League didn't bum me out that much. So. I mean, as, as gross as it was, like, we, we still got rid of Mourinho. That's the other thing that's been going on with the club. Uh, this week they announced at once that they uh, are putting, uh, giving fan uh, fans a voting position on the board, which is, you know, I think very Tottenham and that they have gone the furthest out of all the clubs to give the fans, like, an official voice, and they still get no credit for it because in the midst of all this, they, A, did this later than they probably should have, I mean, they shouldn't have done the Super League at all. Let's state that in, in, in out front. But having accepted that they did it, they should have done this a lot sooner, issued a better apology. And I'm not sure their pissing match with the Supporters Trust is doing anybody any good. Uh, it's funny. It's it's kind of funny to watch because they're both extremely mad at each other. But um, I don't know. I, I, what's your take on what's going on, Ben? Because I think it's on some level it's just kind of amusing. To me, at least. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I'm removed enough from it that I can laugh at the supporters' trust and, and Danny Lady sniping at each other. But it's it's stupid. It's the the shots fire being fired at each other are unproductive and unhelpful. Um, you know, it, it feels a little bit like the club is trying to kind of cut the supporters trust out of proceedings with the w- way that they've structured the the fan board representation um particularly paired with the statement that they that they released um well they're absolutely daniel levy is last week. daniel levy is absolutely irritated that they're continuing to ask for his resignation right and you know when we talked last week about why refusing to meet with the board was not doing the trust any favors um and I think, you know, the further escalation that we've seen this week is kind of proof of that. Um, you know, I don't expect the trust to be, like, the bigger party here and, like, be the ones to... No, Tottenham should have been. Like, Tottenham absolutely should not have, like... You know, they should have given the trust, like, an hour's notice or at a minimum. Like, like told them this is coming and then, like, not put that shit in the... Right. In the thing. But, you know, they're clearly, right. like... It... Yeah. You know, and it's it's just telling this to like a a gesture meant to appease the fans was also designed to poke at the fans. Yeah, be a and you know create, coming off a weekend of, it's it's that helpful. Right, and coming off a weekend where a fan frustration at 
Spurs, once again, having the highest tickets prices in the league and not offering any kind of deals for COVID to be like, hey, everybody come back to the stadium for 10 pounds. It'll be very exciting. We'll all feel good. It's like, there's just none of those gestures. Like, I think even Burnley was offering, like, really cheap tickets the other yeah. week to just say, like, you know, thanks for toughing it out with us. You know, we're doing none of that. Um, and, like, you know, again, I don't expect businesses to do things like this because they're fucking shitty, terrible people. Um, but it would be nice. Yeah. I would just... like to have an ownership that felt like they had some relationship with the fans and some consideration of of what that meant to be a steward of a community institution like a football team. But, you know, he doesn't. Yeah, it's like I understand that, like, their balance books are hurting. But, like, surely the goodwill you would get from offering, like, 25 pound tickets or whatever is worth more right now, especially after the ESL bullshit than like whatever money they're going to make by, you know, which they will make, but surely the goodwill you would get is worth more than that. Uh, it's, I will say the one good thing to come out of this was the extremely unintentionally funny line in the, in the supporters trust press release that said they wanted to put for the record that they have, have, Kept, have bled for this team longer than anyone on the board has for 20 years. I, In response to, like, Levy said, uh, in response to them wanting him to resign, I don't know why, I just found that incredibly funny and stupid. And it made me laugh very hard when I read it. Yeah. Yeah, it's dumb. And it's like, it's a wild misreading of the, the you know, the statement that the club put out. You know, they were just trying to say, like, we're not going to resign because we do care about this. And they said, oh, well, the implication must be that we don't care about this. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I, nobody was making that implication, but good for you for saying it that way. And just like, just keeping lobbing the shit back and forth. It's, like, it's, it's just great that our, um, that the relationship between the club and the official representative of the fans has degenerated, or the fans in general, honestly, has degenerated into a cold open for the office. Not even the American office, the British office, because it's really depressing and sad. So, it, it's yeah, just, not good. None no, of this is good. No. Some of it's we, funny. A fan representation on the board is good. Like, yes. It is a positive thing to happen. And, like, what it actually means, what actual rights they would have on the board remains to be seen, but it's a good gesture. Yeah, it's and, but it's it, I think it's endemic of this whole thing and how Levy's handled the club lately and that it's like it's not a day late a dollar short, it's just a little late. It's oh there's my my son is very unhappy with with Daniel Levy's uh moves to pacify the fans. But no, it's like it's his birthday in like twenty minutes. Exactly. If if they had just done this a week earlier, if they had done this without antagonizing antagonizing the official supporters trust, it would I mean, they, they could have potentially gotten a lot of positive press out of this, or at least less negative press, but they have chosen to do these things. And now, despite going further than any club has gone in England in the wake of the Super League, which is, again, not enough, but worth pointing out, they're they getting zero credit for it because they are having messy drama with the supporters' trust, because they've waited too long. It's just, you know, it's, again, I am much more positive on Daniel Levy than a lot of our fellow fans. I think Daniel Levy gets an unfair level of stick for w some of the things that have gone wrong in recent years, even though I think he deserves a lot of blame for how things have sort of melted down in that amount of time. 
I think, you know, if I was Daniel Levy, I would absolutely be like not be able to control myself and yell at all these people about how we were worse than West Ham when he took over and now look at us. That doesn't excuse anything he's done, but it's just he has handled this so poorly from start to finish. It's it's not good. And now we're worse than West Ham again. Yeah, exactly. We're, it's, it's all full circle. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> oh, God, that's depressing. Um, yeah, hopefully they get fixed next, that gets fixed next year. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I hope... I, I don't know. What are you expecting to see out of this protest? Are you, are you just... I, I expect some stupid signs and bed sheets. I'm not expecting... I, I don't think we're going to see anything like we've seen at United. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I hope they, I hope they burn shit down. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Good for them. Um, we'll see. You know, I, we talked about this before, but I think the the protests are a lot less rooted in a real grievance the way the anti-glazer protest is at Man United. Well, I would say uh, a coherent. A more incoherent. I would say a coherent yeah. grievance is the way I would put it. Because, you know, I, I would say the, lar- the large percentage of people angry at Daniel Levy are angry that we just don't win more things than and and the Super League than like about how we treat Tottenham as a inst- community institution, um, and I think that will lead to it being a fairly incoherent protest. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, hey, I hope everyone gets together, and I hope everyone does a really great job protesting. <laughs> Give it your all, guys. <laughs> I like I I really do. I hope Daniel Levy actually recognizes that he has a responsibility to the fans and you know this protest is actually constructive um we'll see yeah we will and i think that's what i find a little frustrating about how incoherent some of the protest is because i think when it's so much of it is about like why didn't we buy this player or why didn't we back pochettino that sort of misses the point it makes it easier to dismiss like they just become like talk radio you know, crank callers as opposed to like people with a legitimate grievance, which is, you know, which is why were you abandoning, you know, centuries of tradition and all this other stuff that is like a very real complaint about how Daniel Levy has managed the club and, you know, how he handled the Super League issue. But I, I should, again, th- that's punching down and we don't need to punch down. So, right. Well, on that note. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Now that my son has stopped crying that we, since we've made our point, uh, I hope that got picked up by the mic. Otherwise, it's going to be a really weird segment of podcast. Uh, ben, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. That's Comrade with a Y. Comrade with a Y. <laughs> you can find our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's at WDR Podcast, as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Sorry, I screwed that one up. Um... And you can find our, when our co-host is not uh, hitting the black diamond circuit, you can find him at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. I can be found at Skipjack0079. And uh, yeah, so for Ben, uh, for Brian, who is not here, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.